Hi, I'm Bobby Brill, and on this episode of Creative Mind, we talk with painter Lucas Bononi. Aside from being just a very humble and charming person, Lucas's work really stands out for being unique and, and, and a certain quality. And some of that quality comes from an insane work ethic of working 10 to 12 hours a day, every single day, getting his craft honed to where his work can be found in galleries in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and now New York. At the time of this recording, he was preparing for his first large-scale solo show. If you have a chance, do check it out because it is going to be an amazing show. And before we get started, please hit subscribe on whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. And here we are with Lucas Bononi. I was so young that I can't really remember how it became, but, but I just had interest in it my whole life, and so... Luckily, I was able to have parents that kind of pushed it. They saw that I had some interest and they kind of put me in classes at a young age. Well, and, was it um, always painting or was it some other art form that you tried or was it just painting? It was all sorts of art forms, but I just kind of always felt that I was a painter. And so I, I tried a series of different things and just told my parents, hey, I, I guess I'm just going to go back to painting. And you know, they were kind of saying, how are you going to make money off of this? We're having you take classes in photography and architecture. And I even took like game design classes at one point. And I was always just telling them, no, I'm a, I'm a painter. And they said, okay, well, that works. <laughs> just go for it. So very supportive. Very supportive. At the, when you, you said you were doing painting at a young age, how, how young is young? What, what's young when you were painting? So my first art classes, I was literally five years old. And it wasn't until I was seven years old that I actually started doing nude figure drawing classes. And so that was, you know, kind you, of a... You and I had talked about that, but how, how does that work for a seven-year-old? Uh, I've got a three-year-old, so that's not, you know, that's twice his age. But uh, even at seven, it, it, it seems unique. To be able to walk in and do a nude figure drawing. How, how did that come about? My parents just kind of knew that I was, I was serious about this, even at a young age. So they had to sign a waiver where if you're below the age of 18, you're permitted to learn from the nude figure. And the instructor was cool with it. And, and I was in there. But, you know, of course, everyone was like, I don't know, 15, 20 years older than me, the majority. and even older than that. And so I was kind of the odd one out. And, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but I, yeah, I remember being really intimidated by all the people who just really knew how to draw well. And it was just a really special moment in my life. I feel like that's kind of what kind of jump started me to be more active in it. I started doing like master copies and things like that. I actually had a situation where my mom had to come into the school because I, I was getting suspended for doing a Leonardo da Vinci master copy. Uh, how how dare you draw high quality <laughs> naked people in school? Yeah. That's just so yeah. wrong. It, it was something that they just couldn't perceive as being serious to, to a little kid. And my mom just kind of said, he's very serious about this. How dare you try to suspend him? So I, I ended up not getting suspended. 
<laughs> Kudos to your mom because that that's pretty awesome. Because I mean, that's a question I want to ask you. I mean, we can we can joke about all all you know the naked people aside, but there is a thing when you go to art school that you do have to sit down and draw nudes, and it's it, it, it it's uncomfortable for about twenty minutes, and then it's like, oh man, this is not easy. And then you're like, oh, this is a this is fascinating. This is the greatest subject to draw. It's so enjoyable to draw. How good were those seven year old drawings? I mean, they're they're horrible, of course. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> I mean, that that that's what I want to hear. I mean, you know, you're like, I'm drawing, you know, just drawing nudes at seven, and and just want to make sure that they were not wall hangable just yet. From for my own feelings, for my own heart, <laughs> they were. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, we all kind of went. Not all of us, but the majority of of painters kind of went through this experience, and I know you've probably worked from the figure before as well. Yeah, we've all kind of been down that whole path where the first ones are just absolutely terrible. <laughs> like, please, please burn these. Don't let anybody see these. <laughs> the yeah. stick figure would have been a little bit more, uh, would have gotten the message across a little bit better than whatever I just did. <laughs> Go back a little bit. Where did you yeah. grow up? I grew up in Woodland Hills, which is a suburb in Los Angeles. I recall that you're from an area very nearby. Yeah, right? I, you know, I grew up in the valley as well. I mean, I when we were, you know, just chit-chatting before when we were starting this, you know, the valley, people who don't know the San Fernando Valley, it's the other side of Los Angeles where a lot of people just live and you don't think of it as where a lot of great artists come out, but you had said something about that you were a skateboarder. Yeah. Yeah. So would you consider yourself a skater or were you somebody that rode a skateboard? I would consider myself a skater because I was I was sponsored. Okay. And not a lot of people know about this store, but Val Surf had the decks that I was represented by. And yeah, yeah, I know Val Surf. Yep, yep. Cool. So yeah, over here on the East Coast, people are like Val Surf. What is right? What is, you know, I was represented and skating every day, and uh, I would say it was kind of fifty fifty for me. Like I had to make the choice. Like, do I try to do this? professionally because I wasn't a professional but I was at least on the trajectory to maybe becoming that okay okay and the same thing with being an artist I was on the trajectory of maybe becoming that professional at that and so I chose painting because it seemed to me that that was a high risk sport <laughs> and that I was just like who am I kidding I'm, I'm a painter <laughs> but, but, but on a kind of weird tangent it's interesting there seems to be a lot of skaters, at least I've met enough skaters who have become artists. And then there's skate art and surf art and art related to that scene that really yeah. is great and becomes popular. And you meet a lot of skaters that do really, I mean, you know, not even talking about graffiti art, which is amazing, but actual fine art. Why is that? You know, do you know, is there something about skating and art that go hand in hand? Yeah, you know, I have no clue what it is, but I absolutely know probably many of the people that you're thinking of, uh, like instructors at Academy of Art University that started doing skating, like Greg Gandy, an instructor there, Adam Forfang, uh, a few buddies, buddies of mine. You know, there, there's just always been that crossover. I just don't know what it is. Maybe it's part of the rebellious side of, of saying like, I'm not doing the nine to five. I'm going to be this rebellious guy. Did you stay in LA the entire time or were you bouncing around a little bit? I was in LA the entire time. And I was also taking art classes from an art, art university on the weekends, art college that was just in, in the Valley. Also just doing kind of 
putting in the practice, but maybe um, not getting like exactly the instruction that I wanted. And it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I moved out of the United States. I was studying abroad in Florence and then in Buenos Aires, Argentina, which is where my family's from. And when I was in Buenos Aires and I felt like I just wasn't getting what I needed, I got a phone call from my dad and he said, I heard of this place called Academy of Art. You want to come back to California? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And I went over, showed my drawings to, to Craig Nelson, and I thought I was good, but little did I know. <laughs> what, what were some of the things that you saw on that initial trip that really pushed you to know that this was going to be the right path for you? Well, first off, I'm a Californian through and through, and I felt that this was the place in California where you get both technique, style, and also some professionalism in terms of how to work in the art world and take art business classes. And those all were at the same exact time incorporated in the program. So I was doing both. And I just felt like that's just what you have to do. Like you have to, while you're learning how to paint, also learn how to make a living painting. And it made a lot of sense to me. And, and then I found out after I graduated that many programs actually don't really do that. And, and I felt really fortunate because I started making a living as a painter in 2013. So it was just in my second year as a junior in uh, Academy of Art. I had quit my job and I just said, I am going to just go all in, take a risk and what's the worst that can happen? So. <laughs> I, yeah, again, that's that's I, I, you say it very, very calmly and very matter of fact, like, yeah, I'm just going to just going to be a painter. That's just the way life is going to be for me. It, it sounds so amazing that you made that decision before we get into all of your successes. You got to tell me some failures, because if you don't have any failures, that just that again, that makes my heart hurt even more that you were just immediately successful. What were some of those first couple of years and some of those classes like? What was it like training yourself to actually go down the path of being a professional painter? Personally, I felt that that just the grading criteria was insane. It was, <laughs> I don't know, every like 100 people, out of every 100 people, like two or three got an A. And so I was like really shooting for that A and I was putting in late hours and uh, doing all the resources like tutoring and workshops and really trying to put in my hours. And I just thought I need to put in my 10,000 hours now and try to get good at this. And so at the same time, you know, I had the night job and I said to myself, this is really what's handicapping me from doing what I want to do when I quit. What ended up happening is I, I got kind of a, a reality check. I had to downsize where I lived substantially. So I was living in basically a shoebox. It was like seven feet by 10 feet was my whole apartment. Oh, and wow. yeah, and when family would come to visit, you couldn't even open the, the door, it wouldn't fit. So I just told myself, you know what? This is where I sleep and that's it. Like, I'm just gonna be here for... I don't know, seven, eight hours, and that's it, like just to sleep. And my life is just going to be, you know, at the university, just going all in. Even that sounds like it's not that big of a deal, but to me, it was really a huge deal, that step that I made, because it was a place 
that was only for people that have a very low income. And so I was essentially living with a bunch of people that were homeless at one point in their life. It was like a homeless positional facility, basically. <laughs> okay. Not, not other art school guys. Not, not a lot of other painters in the building with you. No, there was not one. It was just, it was just like I had a different reality where I lived entirely. A lot of crazy people, a lot of people that were homeless. I won't get into too many details, but you know, at one point I kind of barely had enough, you know, money to even eat. So I was going to the food bank with everyone else in the building during the week, once a week. It was definitely, it was extremely rough, that place. Is there an influence in your life or something that you had seen that told you that that's it? That's what you have to do? You know, not really. It just felt like gut instinct. If this is what I love to do, I have to be immersed in it literally at any point of the day. And I just remember even during finals, I wouldn't sleep for two or three days. My roommate actually didn't sleep for four days. <laughs> but that's college life. So anybody anybody listening to it, it's college life. It's not uncommon. It's not just painting. You're just like, what's going on? So yeah, so I had to make the decision fast. Like, what is it going to be that's going to pay the rent? And so I, I applied to a show in Pacifica where you had to do 50 paintings in 50 days. And, and I, this, is, this is when you were a junior or? This was when I was a junior, yes. I was following the footsteps of someone who was uh, a senior. Or no, I was a sophomore. So I was in my second year and I was following the footsteps of someone that was entering fourth year and was doing the show also. And I said, okay, I'm going to give it a shot too. So I, I went into this show. I was painting every day these little tiny paintings. There were six by sixes that you had to do, 50 paintings in 50 days. And then at the same time, a friend of mine had introduced me to a curator in a gallery in San Francisco. And so I became friends with the curator and I landed a, a show with them, a group show. And, and so this kind of all happened at the same time. And what, what was the gallery that you uh, had gotten turned on to? Yeah, so the gallery is Studio Gallery SF. And then the show that I did in Pacifica was the Sanchez Art Center. You know, I was prepping for that show and the curator said, don't worry that you don't have any background, but just kind of tell me like, what are you up to? Is there any show that you did at all? And I said, well, I'm doing this show where I have to make 50 paintings. And they're like, oh yeah, I know that show. Okay, that works. Like, I think you'll do just fine. Like that, that is valid. So I was painting for this gallery in, in San Francisco. And, you know, if I were to paint two or three days on that painting, then I would fall two or three days behind on, on the 50-50 show. And then I'd have to paint like three in a day or something. So it was just kind of this positive feedback loop where I was learning from the experience by doing so many works. And the deadlines were very motivational. And so it like any other project that you would turn in to get a grade on or something, but that I was getting real world experience already. How, how does that work though? When you're thinking about having to do 50 paintings, because in school you're often given prompts uh, or you're given a model or two or three, or a still life is set up for you. Or if you're doing landscape, you're taken out to a spot and go here, here, paint this. When you're doing 50 pieces, how are you deciding I'm sure you did more than 50, or did you just make 50? Did you just get to the 50 and go, I'm okay? I made exactly the amount. And in the last days, 
you know, when you retouch a painting, you're usually just retouching one or two paintings in your studio. I was retouching on the last days, like eight different paintings. I was just like going to one side and retouching a little bit and then going to the other side and like saying, okay, I need to finish this. And I just was going a little insane. But also I, I didn't have, you have to think that you need enough subject matter for that many and the theme. So I was just painting mundane uh, objects that were around me, like doorknobs, door locks, the building that I was living in, where I was in a very small apartment, like that building was very kind of uh, run down and had a lot of character, let's say cracks in the wall and stuff. And it, it made the paintings really fun. You know, at the same time where I was living was across the street from the Transamerica Pyramid. So yeah, I always made the joke that if I were to run to safety because some weird thing, like some ghetto thing was happening in my building, I would just have to leave my building. I'm safe. There's a bunch of people with suitcases. <laughs> like, I'm safe. <laughs> yeah, I was just in the neighborhood kind of browsing around like different mundane objects. And that's kind of how I started it all. I, I was going to junkyards and, and finding like mundane objects there that seemed meaningful to paint and maybe evoked something deeper than just the typical kind of setup. And were you painting in, in oil or in acrylic or, or watercolor? What was the medium you were using? I was painting in oil. N not the easiest thing to just whip out paintings. Yeah, exactly. They, they were wet on wet a la primas and it's kind of a one-shot thing and you have to do so many. That was like the very beginning that launched it off. And then the, you know, the art university had a, a spring show every year and I was in the spring show every year. Which is a big deal. The spring show is, is really a pinnacle event at the academy and the work is astounding. Yeah, the, the spring show is amazing. And um, I'm fortunate that I did uh, every single year of the spring show, not, not one I, I missed. It was very hard to get into. So again, some sleepless nights there too. I felt like that also prepares you for the real world is doing something that is involves exhibiting work or something competition-based because others are, are competing for prizes in the spring show. At the same time, uh, they had set me up with, uh, with a meeting with a gallery called Waterhouse Gallery in Santa Barbara. The first year I hadn't got in, they said they were thinking about it. And then the following year, they accepted me. And I feel like that was really the moment that I felt that I can not only make a basic income off of this where I, I'm able to pay my rent, but that I could actually make enough to upgrade from my living situation. <laughs> so they, they did a fantastic job. They had sold 23 paintings of mine in three Oh my years. gosh. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I was on this kind of phase where I was doing a lot of these little works. And so that that's feasible, right? But it is a very large number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was extremely happy to have that experience where every other week, oh, we just sold another one. And it's almost that every single time I felt that I didn't know what's going to pay the rent this month. And sometimes it would approach really close. And Oh, we sold the painting years, and I would be like, "Oh my gosh, how did this happen? Like, this just fell from the sky." <laughs> so it's a matter of believing in yourself, just trusting that you're going to be able to accomplish it, and always planting those seeds. Right? Constantly 
talking with different galleries and and doing competitions and um, yeah yeah let, let's talk a little bit about that because i i mean just on a quick question to, to go back a little bit on your your 50 50 show did you sell some pieces or was it not that kind of show in the 50 50 show i didn't know much about pacifica and so i just i kind of felt that i was going through like five stages of depression at one point where i was like i don't even know if it's gonna sell is anyone going to show up to the show? I'm probably not going to sell a thing. And I'm dedicating so much time. Like, I just said, you know what? Just do it. Just have the experience. But yeah, like, it's like taking a free class or something. I don't know. It's it's just like you're having an experience that's going to, it's you're going to learn from this. So I just went for it. And so 17 paintings of the 50 sold. And at the time I had my prices like at the base, base price, the lowest it can possibly go because I was starting off in my career. So each little six by six was 85. And then I really enjoyed this show. Actually, I did it three years in a row. And so like the following year, I put them at like 125 and then the following year, like 250. And then by the time I was with Waterhouse Gallery, they were 450 and, and so it was in just a matter of three or four years, they were doubling, tripling, and then quadrupling. And that's that six by six small piece? Small piece I judged as my as my base price for my work, lest I go. You have to kind of be consistent with your pricing. You can't go down, you can only go up. At the very beginning of my career, I just made sure that it was incrementally raising. Now in my career, the raising will be much smaller right? Okay. It'll be like, I'm raising the price, like, I don't know, like a hundred bucks a year or something. <laughs> but within how drastic it was, the prices were so low that I, I would just recommend to be smart with it, you know, have it incrementally go up and don't go up too fast. Let's get into that, that business side of it. Cause I mean, this is, you graduated what, 2015? Yeah, I finished 2015 and then I graduated 2016. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So professionally, we're going about five years now that you would say, which is great. You're you're for collectors. That's that sweet spot. It's like ah, I can get him before he's super famous. That's this is that <laughs> that prime time to 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 buy your work. But on on a more personal level, where you're actually now okay, I, I'm done. I, I've got my diploma. Now what? What is that path and those steps that you're doing? Like, okay, now I have to get into galleries because I'm assuming I, I've never worked as a painter. What do you got? Where where do you sell your works other than a gallery? Or is a gallery the only place? Or are there other avenues that you can develop your sales from? The way I think about it is that there's seven streams of income. So we have galleries, small works, commissions. Prints, instruction, a la primas, like sketches. And, and then you have your whole market, like social media market, that is just another stream of income entirely, I feel, because they have lower price points. So that's kind of where where you aim the things like sketches and a la primas and like that. Um, hey, explain explain to me an a la prima and, and for people listening, the difference between an a la prima and then a quote unquote finished or a fully realized painting. If I were to make a painting in three hours, wet on wet, and I'm drawing with paint, and then I'm, I'm kind of molding the form out of these like vast, large passes of, of light across like a portrait or something, 
and I'm making sure that I'm accomplishing a finished quality in three hours that would normally take me like 80 hours. It's just going to be like this abbreviated finished painting, but in its abbreviated quality, there's a notice noticeable difference between a finished gallery standard work and a quick sketch. So a quick oil sketch, you should have those priced differently. Not so low to where your galleries are going to be like, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> but low enough to so that you can have a market on Instagram because Instagram has a, a lower kind of price point, I would say, than the galleries. The galleries, they're able to find high buyers, buyers that are, are wealthy and buyers that you wouldn't be able to find on your own. That's very important for one's career is to be able to not always be kind of trapped in this lower price point, but every time just uh, as you're growing in technique, you're also growing in art business. So you will be introduced to art galleries that can sell your, your works at higher points if, if you're investing the time and energy to make those connections. And it's just a matter of going to the openings and being friendly with the curators and not thinking that that there's like this mysterious thing that no one can get into. It's much different than people think. It's not like all the movies where you're just brooding and sad and, and angry and all dressed in black, dying to get into this one gallery to make your career. No, no. Yeah, I, I just feel personally that I'm sure there's those galleries where you walk in and no one says hello. And that could be extremely intimidating and also stunt the growth of someone who's just starting out. So I just want to really um, let everyone know that there are curators and gallery owners that, that are friendly. There's also ones that are unfriendly and you're just showing with them because you know they sell. But personally, I would say kind of get out of there and, and go to the friendly ones because artists are, they tend to be very uh, outgoing, friendly people, always joking around, not taking life as serious as most. And to, to feel like you are working for someone it's not really what we signed up for. And I feel like the unfriendly gallery owners make you feel that way. Um, uh, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, it's like, I didn't get a nine to five job for a reason to have a manager. I'm an artist to, to be do fun things, guys. Yeah. So yeah. Let, let's, let's, let's finish up some of those, those seven streams of income. Because I mean, is that your creation or was this something you learned or a, a conglomeration of all the things that you learned at school to come up with these seven ideas? That's something I came up with on my own. So I don't know if, I'm, if I mentioned it as a part of the seven streams of income, but it definitely is competitions. So yeah, so yeah, talk to me about competitions because the, the galleries and the competitions seem like, you know, for a lot of people when they're starting out or if they've never even thought about it, that's it. That's all. It's like, well, if you're not in a gallery, you're not in a show. What else are you doing? While I was at AAU, I had applied to various competitions. And when I was applying to these competitions, again, just like in the 50-50 show, like I feel those things like, well, this costs money to apply and I don't think I'm going to get anything out of it. Of course, you're always going to feel these things and you're always going to feel like you're not ready. And so my advice is to just do it now because you're always going to feel like this. It doesn't matter if you're in your 20s and your 40s, 50s, doesn't matter. Like you're going to always feel this way that you're not ready. So just start doing it, get in the habit and it'll become an objective process where you don't 
pour yourself emotionally into thinking that it's not going to happen. So I, I was applying to these competitions. So I applied to one, uh, which was the ARC salon show. And I just said, like, oh, I think this was a stupid move because I'm literally competing against my teachers at AAU and, and all these amazing other painters. And so I just kind of applied and threw it off to the side, didn't think anything of it. And then I found out that I was a finalist and I said, whoa, okay, this is getting serious. So my art university homework was a finalist. So it, it meant like a lot to me. So I uh, was a finalist and then I was contacted and they said, you're going to have a show, you're going to be in a group show as part of this art competition in Manhattan. I flew to Manhattan for that exhibition and they sold my work, which was a work that was close to 10 grand. And I just kind of told myself, I just graduated and this is real. That's a great seal of approval and a great motivator right there. When, you, when somebody says $10,000 for your piece, that's awesome. Congratulations, man. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing more of a validation than selling work from your grandparents or whoever, but the validation really comes from, okay, do those pats on the back, are those actually real or like, am I just really bad at this? So, so the validation, it comes from sales definitely. Cause it just kind of tells you, okay, people are interested. And so that means you're not doing horribly. Well, um, that's interesting you, you bring that up because, you know, that I think people are forgetting it. I'd ask you, like, how do you make money? And it's like, well, you got to do the work and doing the work is work. That's literally all you're doing is just painting. So you've got competitions. We talked a little bit about all the primas. How much time are you spending trying to get into galleries? What takes the most time? Galleries, competitions, or some of these other things that you talked about? Yeah, so, um, so another piece of advice is whatever works for you, pour yourself into that, like put all your energy into that because that is where you're going to get the most success from. So for example, I was, I was living in Aspen for Aspen, Colorado for nine months before I moved to Manhattan. I, I live in New York now and I'm actually wearing a sweater saying that says Aspen. <laughs> surf and aspen <laughs> it's the best of both worlds you know surf and aspen when i was living in aspen i said what am i going to do i i really feel like i'm living in the middle of the forest here like i was in in the downtown of aspen but at the same time like the downtown's like four by four blocks i was right I was, it's still aspen it's still in the woods it's still in the woods so when i was there i completely just poured myself into prince and, and so really there's no um, one answer. It's what's gonna work for you in, in a certain given situation. And maybe what works for you should be the only thing that you do. For me, I like doing a lot of different things. I like having many streams of income. So when I was there, I met up with the Aspen Art Museum printer, like the guy that literally does prints for the museum. I just kind of told myself, well, these are going to be definitely the best prints that I could get my hands on. So I, I had him do the prints and I, I, I sold about a dozen and I was just living off of the prints. And then um, I had gotten uh, best in show in a competition and that was another big boost of income. I was just doing what I could in the woods and not really focused too much on galleries when I was there. But the prints and the competitions those were so meaningful me you know meaningful to me at the time and so yes definitely maybe don't do what i do which is i do all 
all seven, this kind of number seven, it could be more than that or less than that, whatever you think, this is just a number that I developed. And I feel like it works for me and, and that it's, it's what makes life the most interesting. Like there's just new thing coming up. And, and the, the commission part, you know, that, that's the other thing that a lot of people think about with painters is that, you know, you're waiting for some rich old lady to contact you and go, I need a painting of my husband, or I need a painting of this, or, you know, the portrait of the CEO, or if that's not your style, are commissions something you seek out? Or is that something that just is another way for you to look at, at making money? Commissions, they arrive less infrequently in, in, in terms of shows and things that I have to produce for. It's less frequent than anything else. But um, I would say that I probably do about six or seven commissions a year, just wow. about. But I, I make a lot of paintings, so. <laughs> so that's actually not a lot in terms of how many paintings I make. But so with the commissions, there's the commissions where they allow you to do whatever you want to do. And it has to be a certain subject matter, let's say. Those are my favorite. And then there's others where they just kind of give you something to paint that you're not emotionally attached to at all. And throughout the whole painting, you're kind of suffering and you're just telling yourself, this is helping your technique at least. It's helping your technique, just keep going. You know, Because maybe you're put in a situation where, a good situation, a good scenario, where you're trying a subject matter that you're not drawn to. And so if, if I have to paint a fluffy dog and I'm not used to painting fluffy things, <laughs> then I'm going to learn a lot from this experience at least, right? But maybe it's not the, the deepest painting masterpiece. Well, but, it, but it's somebody loves the fluffy dog. So you have to have a painting of Senior Fluffy up on the wall. But <laughs> all kidding aside, are you getting commissions that are of fluffy dogs or are they other things? I've gotten a few dogs in the past. Luckily, my latest commission it was kid portraits and I've never really painted kids before and they were like four or five years old and so the proportions were so different and so I learned so much from that and then also another one that I did recently which was of flowers and I did them from life I, I actually primarily paint from life it's about 95 percent of the paintings that I do are just entirely from life I was just grabbing flowers and and the moment they would get sad, I would go and buy more flowers. And so the experience of doing flower paintings was really interesting. So yeah, commissions definitely put you in scenarios where you can find a new love. Maybe you're very drawn to the subject matter that they pitch. Okay. So I'm going to review those seven because I really want to get more into you. I mean, we've talked a lot about your, you've given some fabulous advice, but I really want to talk about you as, as a painter because that's more interesting. You art competitions, galleries, your small works. You know, your Instagram, which we'll, we'll definitely put up there, commissions, small fluffy animals and flowers and, and other cool things. You do mentoring, which I know a lot of artists do that, that kind of go for, for throughout history, time immemorial, that teaching and, and mentoring and helping kind of goes hands in hands. And then the prints and, and the prints, are you doing, you're doing what, like numbered editions or what kind of prints are you doing? Yeah, I usually do a numbered edition of 50 or something like that. It's a it's a whole different whole different ball game. Occasionally, like a, a very small work might be the same price as like a very large print, but the collector really wants the large print. Uh, oftentimes, I I just kind of say, well, do you want a small painting instead? And they'll think, oh, I I thought that I could never afford. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's good to to just have a lot of options 
for maneuvering your. Let's get into the painting. So what what's a day look like for you as a working painter? What'd you do today besides have to block out time to have me talk at you? Today, I woke up very early and I looked at my Instagram because at the moment I'm doing a drawing sale. So I woke up very early. I closed a few deals with the drawing sale. Then I worked from a male model in an art competition. So I, I guess I could talk a little bit of, about art. Yeah, yeah. So we are nine working from a model and you have to just make the best drawing or painting that you possibly can within the limited amount of time. And then a judge kind of just says who, who wins. It's strange that I'm talking about a physical competition because the majority of the time people think of online competitions. They never think of physical ones, but the physical ones are real they're in, and they're happening. And I've done many of them. Today, I, um, I won the competition. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad that I that I won because that would have it would have kind of sucked. <laughs> I, I don't know. I came in third place or I don't know. But but so I I won the competition and so I'm I'm very happy. And then I painted from a model, painted a portrait today of a female model for four hours after the competition, and the competition was four hours. And then I I did last kind of finishing touches, ran home. And started talking with you. <laughs> that 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 seems like an insane day for you. Oh, I got four hours of painting here, and I got four hours of painting over there. Is that every day for you? Of just eight hours, ten hours a day of of actually creating art? Is that a normal thing? Yeah, yeah, that's every day. And and actually, when the model was off the model stand, I I painted an extra hour because models are expensive. <laughs> so so I I did other things that I could when she was off the stand. So yeah, it was nine hours, four hours drawing, five hours painting today for me. And then wow. one hour art business because yeah. I was stealing the deals. So every day you're painting, what are you painting for the exercise of painting or are you painting to develop a series? What's the drive and the reason behind your obviously insane schedule of painting all the time? So the art competitions, I love them because that's where you're really trying to better your technique. And the people around you are so talented. And a lot of them are flying from different countries to do these competitions. And so it's it's a very nice experience. Those, I feel like they're just completely technique-based. I often have paintings that I just consider them studies. But then on the side, or I would say my my other half would be doing paintings for galleries and well you know I say doing paintings for galleries but more so than anything I'm doing the paintings for myself and it's some sort of investigation and that investigation I want it to be deep and have the the viewer feel something from it some sort of energy or something maybe even spiritual something that is more meaningful than than a pretty painting let's say as much as I love pretty paintings I try to maybe put something deeper in there. And so I'm currently doing a series called The Forest. And this series, uh, I'm going to be having a, a solo show 2023. Solo shows are always kind of two or three years down the line for production. And so I'm making a body of work for this solo show. It's called The Forest. And um, 
essentially, there's a little bit of irony in it because I live in Manhattan and so the hustle and bustle of the city, but then the longing for the forest. And so that's kind of how the idea came up. I want the expressiveness to hold some sort of quality of what you feel in the forest, but doing it in a haphazard way whether that's the brush making or maybe some sort of color pattern or contrast that evokes the feeling of the crazy city. And these things, they are said, but I'd rather them be felt. That, so, that's what I was going to ask you, because I mean, granted, I mean, if you've gone to art school and everything you said makes total sense, but to the layman, it's like, that seems very ethereal and very out there, woo-woo, like, okay, what does that mean? When you came up with your artist statement for this, was the artist statement come first or what you were interested came first? What was the, the you know, I, I'm liking this feeling, I'm liking this style, I'm liking these techniques I'm doing, or was it, I've got a show, I need to come up with a statement, and that's what they bought, and that's what I'm going to go for. It has to do with the way I, I work and the way I work, it may seem strange, but I could literally be, I don't know, walking on the sidewalk and all of a sudden an image will just emerge in my head. And that image, I have it survive in my head for about 72 hours. And if it's not interesting enough, it'll just vanish. And interesting enough, then that image that's in my head after a few days, I'll say, okay, it's it's knocking on the door, it's bugging me, and I have to get it out of me. And so that image felt very much so like this contradiction of kind of going full circle. I don't want to maybe steer too off from it, but sometimes I feel like this kind of irony. It's kind of like you'll tear down like a forested area, put up a building, and then the landscaper will make it a beautiful forest area and call it your your woodland oasis uh in the city i just always feel that there's a little bit of of irony maybe it's when i'm walking in central park and i'm i'm just saying wow everything's curated so beautifully to like make me feel like this is real and it is real but it's just it's designed by us i kind of want to make paintings that that feel like they're designed by us but have some sort of deeper quality, maybe something that nature can capture that's without words. That's great. That makes me want to go look at it. And I think that that's an awesome way of, of, of explaining it. Because I think that's something that, you know, you and I and, and other people who, who may be listening to this, if, you, if you've gone through art school or really interested in art, everything you said is like, oh, I get it. That makes sense. To people on the outside, it's like, I don't understand why you want to do this. Why would you make a painting of this? And even myself sometimes, if you go into galleries and and you go to some galleries that, you know, understand the difference between a local tourist gallery and an actual art gallery does take time. And seeing, well, that's a pretty painting of flowers or that's a painting that is there to evoke an emotion and a feeling and to get you to think about that. Or that's something I also want to talk to you about was technique. How do you describe or how do you use the techniques that you've developed into creating your work? Are you choosing a solo technique or are you constantly playing with them? What is it that when you put brush to canvas that's making you decide what to do? It's an amalgamation of everything that just kind of makes me who I am. And like I was saying earlier, 
I I like my streams of income to be various, just a variety of different things, because that's just that's just who I am as an individual. And maybe that won't work for someone else, but I paint the same exact way. I want to have the most edge quality, the most variation in value, in color. I just want the most variety, big shapes, small shapes, shapes that are triangular, square, circle, that can give certain kind of psychological, you know, different feelings, like triangle shaped brush strokes can feel maybe sharp, dangerous, dynamic, square ones can feel more like mass and heavy and circular ones can feel more like cute or uh, fluid and maybe feminine. And so I'm just like trying to incorporate as many ideas, as many concepts. I'm making the rules happen to the best of my ability by really copying the way nature works. And then I'm breaking the rules as much as I can by doing an arbitrary color that will just absolutely ruin the volume on purpose. And I'm just kind of trying to put everything in into the same work. That's amazing. The work I've seen and, and you know, not many people can see it now. You've got a beautiful portrait behind you and it's not the color scheme of a portrait. It's colder tones. It's it's blues and grays and purples than it's, well, it's supposed to be a pretty woman. It, it should be, you know, pinks and roses and all that. And then it still is, is a great painting. What were some of your influences or who do you look to as influences for the work that you do? This painting that I have next to me actually is one of my uh, wife. I had painted it while I was at AAU before she was my wife. And we were on a, a Skype call and I, I screenshotted her portrait and made a portrait by surprise. As all painters do because it's awesome and romantic. Yeah, it was... Uh, I feel like it's a little, makes me kind of embarrassed. Hey, you know what? If I could make a painting of my wife, she would stop nagging me about it. So don't, don't feel bad about that. That you have a wife who supports you is probably the second most important part of being a working artist. Having a partner there who supports you is key. Oh yeah, that's the other half of everything else. She approves everything. <laughs> we have a, a common favorite painter She's not a painter, my wife, but we have a common favorite painter, and his name is Mikhail Rubel. He's from the 19th century, Russia. And I saw his work in person in Moscow, and they have a whole space just for him. The walls are painted blue only for him, and it's not painted blue anywhere else in the, in the museum, just for his space. And his work is fascinating. I also look at Brown who's a contemporary, she's living today, abstract expressionist painter. And then I look at Donna Huanca, who is a Los Angeles painter and installation artist. I think what would most accurately describe who she is is both, not more than one than the other, because her works are installations that are painted. They have like live models that have body paint on them. There's a scene that's developed using like sand on, on the ground and different structures that are abstract with paint on them. And I feel when I see their works, all three of them, that I get something out of the work that feels profound and it feels very, very close to what I want to say as a painter. I absolutely recommend people to copy from who they like. And it doesn't matter if they're 
if they're living or, or if they're from 500 years in the past, but to just copy who you like and start Frankensteining different styles together. And eventually you'll find your voice. This is one route, of course. Some people just have their voice at the very beginning and, and they just keep going at their own style. I, on the other hand, have always been told that I have a style, but never felt that I did. <laughs> it wasn't until I was doing, I just started this series actually last year. That's why there's not many works, but um, on my website, which is lucasbononi.com, the first thing that pops up is the first painting from this body of work called The Forest. And, and there you could kind of see the influence between these three painters, I would say. Maybe you say that they look nothing like the three, and I don't think they do, but that I just feel that they make up a part of who I am. I have some sort of deep. Um, it's, in, it's, in, it's in your painting DNA. Yeah, it's in my painting DNA. Well said. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to steal the line from you. I apologize. <laughs> what? So then, you know, you have your show coming up. This is your first solo show in 2023. So goals as an artist, what do you look at or as some of something you'd like to do, something you've never attempted before, or what do you see yourself becoming as an artist? So I wanted to live in an area that could permit me to do the kind of works that I want to make. And so I live just a 15 minute walk from Chelsea and Chelsea is an area in Manhattan that has various galleries. And by various, I, I mean, New York City alone has 1,500 galleries. And so it's the most in the United States. And then Chelsea is kind of this hub for contemporary painters more than anything else that are very modern in their approach, expressionistic. Or You look to Upper East Side for more traditional work. And I am actually very traditional in my background and in, and in my technique, in my approach. But in this series that I'm developing, it's very much so kind of geared towards the Chelsea market. And I say that with the urge to kind of um, just get out there that I'm making the paintings for myself because they feel like it's who I am and I'm not making it for the market, but that it's geared towards that market because it's more accepted by that market. And so when I go to Chelsea, this kind of small area full of galleries, I just feel like this is where I belong. And I started showing in Chelsea over the summer. I just feel like that's where I, I have to be. And so I'm going to be doing this solo show there. I'm thrilled and nervous. I'm going to be producing works that are larger than I ever have before. And so I, I'm kind of doing the polar opposite of the beginning of my career, which is a bunch of very tiny works. Now I'm doing very large works. <laughs> how, how big are we talking? Uh, you know, square footage or how, how big are we going? My kind of base size is, um, I would say, is 40 by 60. Wow. Inches. And then my largest ones, who knows what it could be at, but it would, it would be something around maybe like 130 inches to 150 if I get really into it and, and I want to take a risk, I could possibly make something even even grandiose, but this is my first solo show, so I don't want to do anything too crazy. But And when I say first solo show, I've done about 15 solo shows that I don't really count as solo shows. Okay. Why is that? 
before I even went to Academy of Art University, I was doing solo shows, but they were at like cafes or little spaces. I, I wouldn't say that I really count them, but it does definitely prepare you for an actual gallery solo show to be doing things like that. Just not be shy and just approach a cafe and again, like what's the worst that can happen? And then you'll be super surprised when you find that a handful sell and it's a good feeling. I'm going to ask you the, the totally non-layman, ignorant art question. When you're doing a piece that big, where are you getting that much oil paint? Are you going through oil paint by the bucket at this point? So I, I get my oil paint from art competitions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so a lot of the times in art competitions, they'll have a monetary prize and part of the prize will be art materials. And so luckily I... I don't really buy art materials. I just win them. <laughs> and then I'm also represented by a, a few art material companies. I just kind of feature them on Instagram. And, you know, I'll tell people like I'm, I'm sponsored by this paint company, but I really do mean it when I say that they're my favorite. <laughs> is, is that pretty common that the companies are, are sponsoring artists? Not really, actually. Oh, it's, okay. it's not so common like being a sponsored skateboarder, let's say. It's pretty rare, I would say, nor do I feel that painters get involved in those types of things. Like they just don't feel like it's part of being a painter. But, but again, I like to dabble in so many different things with my art business that maybe that's like number eight. There should be eight instead of seven. Don't pay for art materials. <laughs> that's one of those things that it does come up because you know, when you're in art school, there's the cost of art school and it's an investment in your time. It's an investment in your future. And then, oh man, I got to buy canvases and board and gesso by the gallon. And I've got to, oil paints are not cheap. You know, you could always paint an acrylic or whatever and, you know, be cheaper or, or whatever. But, you know, and, and oil does have that cachet and that, that beauty to it that brings the, the to life a subject. But it, it ain't free. <laughs> it, it, you know, and if you're, and you're saying, you know, you're doing... 100 by 100 or 130 by 150, that's a lot of paint. Even if you're not painting with a palette knife, it's still a lot of, of medium there. Uh, but yeah, it's just one of those odd, weird questions. I've Somebody who never painted serious, it's always like, you, you see those pieces, like, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, and, and actually, depending on the art competitions or with my sponsors, I'll be using really, really good, high-quality paint for areas that I want to be, like, very realistic. And then... I'll be using like the not so good paint that maybe I won in a, a competition. Or something <laughs> you know, that's also something that I'd like to talk about is that I never think that my reputation is going to be ruined by doing shows that are not up to par with maybe other galleries that I'm represented by or competitions for that matter. But I just find that I'll just be going to openings and maybe I find that the opening isn't really that that great, but I'll still talk to the curator. I'll still ask if they're accepting submissions. And I will be doing about three exhibitions a month in galleries that are you know much lower level than the ones that I'm represented by. Maybe I don't put them on my resume, but I like to just be doing them. And you never know happen. I'll give my painting to a curator, I'll do a show, and all of a sudden it'll sell, and I was just not expecting it at all. And I'll I'll just think like it's a waste of time, but then I, I hold back. Every time I get these feelings that it's a waste of time or something like that, I hold back and I just say, you know what, like something could come out of this. 
And oftentimes it does. And I'll, I'll sell something or I'll make a really good connection. And then they'll connect me with, with someone else and that'll get the ball rolling. And all these things lead to other things. And so, yes, I do competitions and shows that aren't the best in the world. Um, not, not the prestige named. Yeah. And, and then on my resume, you'll only see like that. I, that I did, let's say three exhibitions or four exhibitions that year. Well, in all honesty, I probably did something more like 25 because I, I like to show a lot. I think of it as, you know, living in a place like San Francisco or Manhattan or Los Angeles, your apartment's going to be pretty small and I think of it as a form of storage. Hopefully those galleries are listening to me right now, but they'll, they'll be like, Hey, are you, are you picking up your painting? And I'll be like, well, you know, give it a few weeks, give it <laughs> because, uh, you know, you know, summer's coming. People are going to go out more, you know, the foot traffic will be better. Give me, give me, yeah. give me some time, Ben. <laughs> I get really happy when my, uh, apartment's empty from my painting. <laughs> it's like I'm doing something right, basically. That's awesome, Lucas. So where can we find you online and in the world? My Instagram handle is Lucas Bononi Art. So at Lucas Bononi Art. And then my website is lucasbononi.com. So those are the two best places. And we'll definitely say. put those up for sure. And what, which galleries are you currently in right now? So the ones that I, I've just recently been in is Arcadia Contemporary in Los Angeles. They're actually moving back to New York. Myris Gallery in San Francisco and Haynes Galleries. Those are the three. Also in Chelsea, the gallery that I just started being represented by in over the summer is Sugarlift Gallery. So there you have it, some tremendous advice from a young up and coming working artist on what it takes to be successful and really the mindset you're going to need if you truly are going to be an artist or in this case a painter. And indeed, if you've ever dreamed of a career in art and design, more and more art and design career opportunities are of course on the rise. Employers are always on the hunt for the next generation of talented and skilled creative professionals. At Academy of Art University, you will get those work ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco or anywhere in the world right now with our online programs. To request info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, fine art, painting, game development, and more, please visit our website at academyart.edu slash creativemind. Again, I'm Bobby Brill, and thanks for listening.